Let's pray. Amos eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, majestic in all your ways, powerful, loving, devoted to your children. What a faithful God that we serve. Our human mind cannot comprehend the love that you have for us, nor can we comprehend how you work out your plan. In many ways we see it as messy, but you know exactly what you're doing. So we thank you. We have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request, Heavenly Father, that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move now to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. The whole section... It's really dealing with head covering. That's the whole session is dealing with that, but we're going to break it up. It's dealing with head covering. I'm going to read verses 2 through 16, the entire uh, passage. It says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and, hold, and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her 
glory. Her long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Apostle Paul had treated the subjects of idolatry as it pertains to food sacrificed to idols in chapters 8 and 10 and provided reason or reasons against involvement in idolatry. Thus, we can say that the apostle had in a sense referenced worship by pagans who were involved in idolatry. However, in the section before us, the apostle begins one of the issues he addressed regarding worship in the church of, of Corinth. And by implication, concerning all local churches gathered for worship. Indeed, there are three issues the apostle addressed about worship in the epistle that we have been studying. That's the epistle of 1 Corinthians. Three issues. The first issue concerns head covering that he addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 2 through 16. The second is the Lord's Supper that he thought about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 34. The third concerns the matter of various spiritual gifts that he addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter two, uh, 12 through chapter 14 verse 40 with particular focus on speaking in tongues, prophecy, and love. Now we will deal with each of these issues as the Lord permits. Now bearing in mind that the apostle was concerned certainly that believers should act or conduct themselves in worship situation in such a way as to glorify the Lord of the Lord of the church. Now the issue of glorifying the Lord will become clearer as we consider the various topics. But, but for now, our focus is on the matter of head covering. Or as some prefer the issue of what they say is the issue of women in public worship given in verses 2 through 16. Now by the way, now this section of First Corinthians is taken by commentators as one of the most difficult in the entire epistle to interpret. Although, there's no doubt that it is concerned with worship in such a way as to bring glory to God. So, for us, we are going to spend today on an aspect of that, which is really an introduction more than anything. So, we're going to deal with the praise 
of the Corinthians. That's what we're going to study today. That will be in verse 2. Again, he reads, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 reads again. I praise you for remembering me in everything. And for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now the apostle did not immediately get into the subjects of head covering. Now in the preceding verse, verse 1, the apostle had conveyed to the Corinthians and so to all believers of the necessity to follow his example or to imitate him as he imitated Christ. So before he gets to the subject of head covering, he praised the Corinthians as we will note shortly. His praise or commendation that we'll get to shortly is in a sense an introduction to the subject at hand and indicates that the apostle had ended his discourse about believers' use of their freedom in Christ. In effect, the apostle alerted his readers that he was about to enter or consider another topic. Now we have all this, we call it samples in the Greek or even in the Hebrew that enables us to see what's going on next in a particular sentence or verse. So here we have one of those. So the alert to this change in topic is given by a Greek particle de. De, that's just a Greek particle that's not translated in the NIV and many of our English versions. Nonetheless, it is used to connect one clause to another, either to express contrast or simple continuation. Now, although it's often translated but in English, when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses, but it has other meanings such as then or and or that is when it is used to link segments of a narrative. In our verse, it is used to indicate that the apostle is continuing his teaching, but this time with a focus on something different from the previous, which has to do with freedom in Christ. Now it's probably for this reason that some of our English versions begin the verse with the word now, to show there's now going to be a change. So the point is that the apostle was mindful that he was about to begin addressing another concern of the Corinthians, or something that he might have learned about them through an informant from their local church, but before doing so, he praised or commended them. Now, one of the things that we see, without all the problems in this local church called the church in Corinth, we will have most of some of these doctrines that we're looking at. So, in a sense, although we sometimes can see 
God has created all these things and troubles and put them in places for a purpose. And part of it is to teach us what we need to know that otherwise there would have been no way to begin to teach uh, that to us. So the point is really that the, uh, the apostle was mindful that he was then about to begin addressing another concern of the Corinthians. Now, even before we get to the passage before us, we should recognize that part of following the apostles' example will then be to praise others when that is warranted and also to rebuke them when necessary. What I'm saying is, yes, if we follow, which we're going to see, the following the apostles' example, it is proper to commend or praise people. And that's when necessary, but also rebuke them. I know that we humans, we like the praise part. We don't like the rebuke coming from somebody. But really, I, I believe that you should praise people when they have done, performed well. And you should rebuke them when they fail. Now, particularly, husbands should do that a whole lot. Should continue to praise your wife. When I mean, I don't mean when she doesn't do well, but whenever she does well, praise her. Now, it is true that God is the ultimate object of our praise. But that does not mean that we should not commend others when they do things that are commendable. However, here is the problem. If you are the recipient of a praise, you should be careful that that praise or commendation does not lead you into arrogance. Since praising a person could become a spiritual trap or, if I call it, a temptation. There's nothing wrong with praising. But I'm saying if you're on the receiving end, you better be careful because that praise could be a trap in a spiritual sense. Now, why do I say that? I didn't just make that up. The Bible tells me what I just told you. That praise, recommendation, commendation from people can become a trap spiritually. And this is my authority for saying so. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 21. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 27 verse 21 It reads The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold but look at the next thing. Man is tested by the praise he receives. This is why I said the danger. Anytime you receive the praise, if you're not careful, it can become a trap for you to become arrogant. I know most of us will love praise. Yes, we do. But you have to be careful what that means to you. 
But you better have, in my judgment, you are better off. The way I look at it, you hear the praise, it goes one ear, get out the other. You don't let it sit. In that way, you'll be free from this trap. Because praise has ways of getting us into spiritual malady. So that is why I mean that, yes, that's not wrong for people to do it. But you being the recipient, you have to be very mindful of the praise you have received. Now the idea of praise or commendation by Apostle Paul is introduced then in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 that we're studying. It says, I praise you. I praise you. Look at that. Say, I praise you. Now the authorized version or the King James version includes the word brethren after the, word, uh, the pronoun you. Now this is because the reason they did that is because a few Greek manuscripts of the 5th to the 9th century contain the Greek words that translate into the English as brothers. Now you know the one thing is um, very most people don't realize that the, the King James Version, the, the manuscript by which, the Greek manuscript by which it, uh, is translated from is a little inferior to the ones discovered later on. And that is why they have uh, all kinds of problems with it. Although those who uh, swear by it <laughs> think it came down from heaven. Directly. Anyway. But the truth of the matter is here we have some Greek manuscripts from the 5th to the 9th century that contain the word that's translated into the English as brothers or the, in the King James Version brethren. Now although such a word is really anticipated but it does not appear in the most ancient manuscripts. Here's the thing. If the reading was in the original it is difficult to explain why the most ancient manuscripts would have omitted it. It's hard to explain. For this reason that we believe it's not in the original. And it is for this reason that uh, virtually all our modern English versions did not add the word brothers in their translation, judging that it, it was not in the original text. It's not that it's, you know, it doesn't introduce any error or anything, but it just will be, let's be faithful to what the original says. It is true they are addressing those that can be called brothers, but it didn't say that at this point. Anyway, that aside, the sentence, I praise you, it's an interesting one. Firstly, because this is the only place in the New Testament that the apostle prays recipients of his epistle in the manner we have in our passage. This is the only place. Now again, I can remind you, nothing wrong. You should praise people. Appreciate people for doing something that's correct. But then all, all I say is, when you appreciate it, when you are praised, so remember it's a trap. At the same time, though, you should not be able to take one and not the other. In other words, when you are rebuked, 
he should also accept that. In the same spirit. Anyway, so uh, we are saying that this is the only place that the apostle prays the recipients of his epistle in the manner that we have in our passage. Now, this is not to say that the apostle did not commend the believers, but often when he did, it is usually in the context of thanking God for their spiritual growth, as in the thanking God for the faith of the Roman believers in Romans chapter 1 verse 8. Romans chapter 1 verse 8 put your Macadia I'll go to one passage and I'll come right back to Romans Romans 1 verse 8 reads first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you here's the reason because you have faith is being reported all over the world. That's a commendation. When he did it, that's his thanking God. Now similarly, the apostle thanked God that the Thessalonians were growing in their faith and so on. As we read in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three reads We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so. Look at the reason again. Because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Anytime I read this, I need to always explain it. Love does not increase. Love is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore it cannot increase. It It is fully what it's supposed to be. What it increases, so when it says your love is increasing, what is really increasing is the manifestation. See, I have said many, many times, you can talk all you want, you can tell a person, oh, I love you so, as, as people do, and I cannot laugh about it, I love you to date. I say, really? You know what? So if you love a person today, they'll die, who are you going to love? No, anyway. But the point is, people just say that, I love you to date. In order to explain their, I mean, to say, yeah, I really love you. Yes. But that is, to me, all I call it is, you blowing a lot of hot air. How will we know that you actually love? When you show it. See, that is the thing about love. So when it says your love is increasing, it's not saying that, oh, somehow the Holy Spirit is increasing love. No, it doesn't increase. That's his fruit. An aspect of his fruit. It doesn't increase. But what he increases is his manifestation. So here he's saying, yes, I command you. That your love 
is now being manifested more and more to each other. And that's what the apostle was commending them. So, my point is that um, because the apostle nowhere, that's why I say first, because the apostle nowhere uh, praises people except in the context of thanksgiving, except the passage we are studying of First Thessalonians, I mean First Corinthians, chapter eleven, verse two. Secondly, the apostle used a Greek word that we will mention shortly. That is nowhere used in the New Testament for praising God. No, he chose a word that's not used for praising God. Now the apostle was certainly aware of four other Greek words that translate into the English as to praise. For example, I just mentioned two of them. For example, he used a Greek word used only in the New Testament for praising God in Romans chapter 15 verse 11. Romans chapter 15 verse 11. Romans chapter 15 verse 11. It says, it is, and again, praise the Lord. That's a Greek word, Eneo, praise the Lord. All you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Now he used also another Greek word, doxezo, that is also for praising God. As he used it to explain to the Corinthians the impact of their generosity towards believers in Judea, which will be to the praise of God as we read in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. It is because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So the apostle did not use any of the other Greek words he knew that has the meaning of to praise. Instead, he used a Greek word that is used to express one's admiration or approval of a person or an object or an event. So he used a Greek word, epa inio. Now the word is used with the meaning of to commend in the parable of the Lord Jesus regarding the shrewd manager described in Luke chapter 16, particularly verse 8. 
We say that the Greek word epe neo has that meaning of to commend. And that's the way it is used in the parable of our Lord Jesus regarding the shrewd manager. It is in Luke chapter 16 verse 8 this way. The master commended, that's a Greek word, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So the apostle used the Greek word in the sense of not to approve of someone's conduct later when he rebuked the Corinthians for not conducting themselves properly during the Lord's Supper as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17. It is in the following directives I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. See when the apostle said I have no praise for you no praise for you or literally the Greek says, I do not praise you. I do not praise you. He meant he could not approve of the conduct of the Corinthians in the matter regarding the Lord's Supper. Now that aside, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, the apostle used the Greek word in the sense of commending someone or approving of someone's action. Thus, the apostle commended the Corinthians for the reason or reasons. I, I will show you why later on it gives us why I say or reasons because of interpretation. But anyway, so he you know, commended them for the reason stated in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 that we are studying. Now, following the English translations, it might appear the apostle gave two related reasons for praising the Corinthians. But as we will demonstrate later or argue, the apostle provided just one reason, although some think it's two. Now, we indicated that it is interesting the apostle commended or praised the Corinthians. So, one wonders his motivation for doing so, considering there are many failures that he had already addressed. Now, one of the things I'll, I'll tell you one thing. If you understand the Bible, try to live by it. You, I mean, things will happen that people can't even explain. Now, because I'm just going to illustrate this, because of uh, my understanding long time ago of certain things from the scripture. Use it into my own advantage, 
Because uh, I remember as a student, a mistake, a graduate student, we had uh, a secretary that people thought she's so stuck up with herself and all that, and you know, so forth and so on. But when I understood certain principles from Scripture, I threw it at her. And to people's surprise, when I come to the department and she just, whatever I want, she, she did it. They, people, what did you do? I didn't know anything. I applied the word. Because I treated her exactly how the Bible wants me to do. And even when we go, you know, her graduate students go, we all go to mail at the same box. And when we start coming, and we pass her going to get the department, she come in the mouth and greet me. And they all get into shock. And so what my point is this. If you just know what the Bible says and you put it to practice, it will be of a tremendous blessing to you. That's my point. So here, we will say, what's, what's the apostle up to? Why is he praising them? What's his motivation? Now, generally, I mean, if you think about it, when you praise people, it could be of what you want to get more from them. That could be a motivation. It may not be wrong. It all depends on what it is. You can praise the person because you want them to do more. Instead of putting them down, you praise them. And that will motivate them to do more and more for you. Same thing. So here we really say, ah, well, what's his motivation? Why is he praising them? Other than the reason we got them for sure, but what's, what's the motive behind that? Well, the apostle... They not directly tell us about his motivation for commending or praising the Corinthians. Nonetheless, it would seem the apostle did this to prepare them for the rebuke that he will bring to them later in this chapter regarding their conduct during the Lord's Supper. And of course, some more. So really, in a sense, when it's the apostle probably provided an example of being even-handed in that he praised them when it's called for, rebuked them when that is necessary. That may be his motivation to have, say, he said, follow my example, to give them a balance in that, yes, you can praise, yes, you can also rebuke. A person who only praises and never rebukes is not living in a world of reality. Now, you are assuming that the person is perfect and there is no such person on this planet who will fail in one way or the other. So, if we if we expect people to praise you, you must at the same time be willing to accept their rebuke from, uh, for whatever you do. So, although we cannot be certain of the apostles' motivation, but we know the reason of his commendation. We know the reason. That the reason for the apostles' commendation of the Corinthians is described as their remembrance of him. As we read in the verbal phrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 reads... For remembering me in everything. That's an interesting statement. 
for remembering me in everything. Now there are really two problems associated with this verbal phrase, for remembering me in everything. Two problems. The first is how to translate it. And the second is what the apostle means. Now you may say, what do you mean how to translate it? It's already translated for remembering me in everything. So what, what are you talking about? Well, it all depends on what version of the Bible you're using. I mean the English version, I mean. Anyway, so the, really the first problem is due to the phrase in everything of the NIV. That's where the first problem is. It is translated from a Greek word, if you by now you should have mastered that in a sense, a, a Greek word, tas, T-A-S, that may mean all or every. And you know, we spent some time laboring to show you all does not always mean all absolutely. We did that. However, the form in which the, the word is used in First Corinthians 11 to, uh, verse 2, it could be interpreted to mean either in all respects, in every way, or it can simply be translated always. So this, uh, that's where the problem comes. That this Greek word in this particular place can be translated to uh, have the meaning in all respects, in every way, or always. Same word. The majority of our English versions follow the first meaning of in all respects or in every way, leading to the translation that we have for remembering me in everything. Or in some other English version that say, because you remember me in everything. Now, other English versions, such as the contemporary English version and the revised English Bible, follow the second interpretation. So, they translated the Greek this way. Because you always remember me. Or because you always remember. So, you see now. One of the reasons, again, I keep emphasizing the reason we study is so that we will be knowledgeable to deal with people. Because if somebody had a contemporary English version and said, well, yours is written different from mine. It shouldn't be at a loss. You say, well, it's probably because how they translated one word or the other. But it's still the same text. So here the issue is for us to find out which of these possible two possible translations that the apostle actually had in mind. And this is where I tell you to ask the Holy Spirit to enable you, to allow you, to empower you, so you can focus. Because now I'm going to do a lot of arguments in order to show what I'm trying to interpret. So, I do uh, personally, I believe that the first interpretation that is reflected in the NIV or the translation that says, because you remember me in everything, I believe that to be correct. Instead of the one that says, because you always remember. 
Now here are the reasons, and that's why I say, call on God the Holy Spirit to cause your mind not to wander. Because that's the only way you get lost, is when your mind starts wandering. If you pay, pay close attention, you get what I'm arguing about. Now there are several reasons though, for rejecting the second interpretation that means always. It is primarily because where the Greek word that literally means all or every is given the interpretation always in the NIV, it's never applied to an action of someone else, as would be implied in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 that involves the concept of remembrance on the part of the Corinthians as we will demonstrate. Now, that was my first reason is this. This is one of those benefits that we have today. I, in the old days, he used to be a man that could take me a whole two hours just to go through, go through the uh, tool we have that can help you find Greek phrases. Today, we have uh, uh, Logos have done a marvelous job. I'll just make a click and whatever those things are, I will see them now. It takes time to go through them, but it makes it easier than having to flip the pages of a Greek text that we used to do. Anyway, so based on that, I just click that word, the Greek word, pass, and see where and how the NIV translated everywhere in the New Testament. And I looked at every place where that word pass is translated with the word always in the NIV. And that's why I make that statement, that wherever it is used, it is never by, I mean, using the sense of somebody doing something other than the apostle himself. As an action, not a command, which I'm also going to argue. Anyway, so the Greek word, that means all, is used in the sense of always when the apostle spoke of his own action of striving to maintain clear conscience. As we read in Acts chapter 24 verse 16. Acts 24 verse 16. It is so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Now that's what every one of us should be doing all the time. Be sure that you have a clear conscience before God and man. Now the, the thing though is that sentence is a I strive always. You know what literally the Greek reads this way. I strive through everything. That's where the Greek reads. I strive through everything. So here the base meaning is really I strive always. Although the Greek word can mean everything. Now, so it is the apostle that acted and not someone else. Now another situation when the Greek word that literally means all is translated always is in the description of love in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 13 verse 7. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 7. Now remember that my argument is wherever the word past is translated always, it usually involves an action of the apostle, not another person. But in this particular passage, we have something a little bit different because it says, that is love, of course, it says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always Passages. Now, literally, the Greek reads, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the way, but really, the meaning, although it can be, you know, translate all things, but the meaning is better, it always, always, always. And that's what we see here. See though, on another occasion, the, uh, the Greek word that literally means all is translated always. And that concerns the instruction of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians regarding the subject of prayer as recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 Ephesians 6 verse 18 reads And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. See that phrase, always keep on praying for all the saints, is literally from the Greek, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. But here it's translated always. Well, see, here with what we see, they're not doing it yet. It's, an, it's a command, more or less, given to them. And a command it really depends on what the person wants to do. But someone command you doesn't mean you're going to do it. So that's, that makes it a little uh, different. So this aside, the fact is that a command does not express something that is certain, as implied in the English translation that uses the word always in First Corinthians 11 verse 2. To translate the Greek word that literally means all. So, because we don't see that being used in an action of people that have actually taken place. Not contemplated, taking place. So, for that reason, I reject the meaning always. Another reason we reject the interpretation that takes the Greek word that literally means all or every as always. In First Corinthians 11 verse 2, is that such interpretation implies certainty of an ongoing action on the part 
of the Corinthians. In other words, that, that would mean, always means, the apostle is certain that's, the, that is taking place continuously among them. Well, the, it is true that the apostle was guided by the Holy Spirit, so he could have that kind of information directly from the Holy Spirit. That indicates that the Corinthians were constantly remembering him, but that's not likely in this particular context. You see, when the apostle spoke of action that was ongoing, so that he used the word always, it is usually that he uses a verb in the present tense in the Greek. But that is not the case in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2. See the word remembering, remembering of the NIV of the verbal phrase of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 when it says for remembering me in everything is translated from a perfect tense in the Greek. See a difference? A clear difference? See a perfect tense in the Greek is the tense used by a writer to describe a completed verbal action that occurred in the past but which produced a state of being or result that exists in the present in relation to the writer. In other words, we talk about something that took place but is still present at the time of writing. That's the perfect tense, as far as the Greek is concerned. So the, imp- uh, the emphasis of the perfect then is not related so much on the past action as it is on the present state of the affairs resulting from a past action. Now, so if the perfect tense is used here to describe the result of something that happened in the past, or simply an action that was completed in the past and is continuing, then we have the same problem of how the apostle would have known that the action he assigned to the Corinthians was still going on to warrant the use of the word always. In other words, how does he know? If he used perfect tense, the implication would be, yes, something happened, but at, at this present state, the result is right, it's still taking place. In a sense. So how will he know that? So it's the same problem. Sure the Holy Spirit could give him that. But it's not unlikely in the context. Now even. When the apostle. Used the actual Greek word. That means. Uh, that usually means always. The Greek word. Pantote. Pantote. It's really in a way. Very close to the word. We said that means everything at all parts. Here we just put pan, T-O-T-E, and they did the same. Anyway, even when he did that, we find that he used more commonly the present tense or the aorist tense. So when he described an action that he observed in the past that occurred regularly, he used the present tense as when he described the activity of prayer of Epaphras on behalf of the Colossians in Colossians 
chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. It is Epipharus, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. See, the apostle has a direct knowledge, because Epipharus is with him. So he knew he was praying constantly for the people in his home. People in uh, Colossae. He said that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So when the apostle described the report he received from Timothy regarding the attitude of believers in Thessalonica concerning the apostle. He again used the present tense with the word always pantote, as we read in First Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. First Thessalonians and uh, hold on to that once you get to it. First Thessalonians Chapter 3, verse 6. It is, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always, Pantote, have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. So the, the apostle used what's called the eros tense in the Greek with the word always to describe a past action then of others that somehow he had knowledge because Timothy just told him. That's what he said. Thus, he describes what unbelieving Jews constantly did to believers who were preaching the gospel to the Gentiles because of his experience too. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 16. It is in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always keep up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. And likewise, he described the obedience of the Philippians that he was aware, using the word always and the errors tense in the Greek of Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 
It is Philippians 2 verse 12 reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now when uh, the apostle commanded action on the part of believers, when he used the word always, he used a present tense in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse fifty eight. It is therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Look at the next thing. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know. That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So certainly, when he used the word always to describe an activity that he was involved in, which he used the present tense as he described his constant prayer for believers in Rome, according to the record of Romans chapter 1 verse 10. Romans chapter 1, verse 10. It reads, In my prayers at all times, I, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So the point is that when the apostle used the Greek word that translates into the English as always, or the Greek word that literally means all, but may mean always in some context, the apostle does not normally use the perfect tense. However, he used the perfect tense in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 in connection with the word remembering of the NIV. Now this argues then, against the use of the meaning always to translate uh, the Greek word in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 that literally means all. So for the reasons we have given, we believe that the translation of the NIV, when it says, for remembering me in everything, all those who translate, because you remember me in everything is what the apostle intended instead of the translation we find in a handful of our English versions I read, because you always remember. So this then brings us to the second problem of the verbal phrase for remembering me in everything. Well, look at our time. Time for break. After break, we'll look at it. <laughs> 